Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of our state-of-the-art talk on pancreatic cancer. Now, last time we spoke about the importance of looking for tumors. We spoke about how we look for, obviously, it's easy to see large masses. Harder masses are, uh, are the smaller ones, typically. We look for things like textural change to see smaller tumors. We look for enhancement changes, of course, pancreatic adenocarcinoma. We mentioned this typically hypovascular, where neuroendocrine tumors are hypervascular. So we look for changes in that enhancement. We spoke about how cinematic rendering can be helpful. An important thing, however, also is duct transition. We need to look at the pancreatic duct and the common duct. Is the duct dilated? We talk about a pancreatic duct over three or four millis being dilated. We talk about with an IPMN, a seven millimeter, eight millimeter duct, you worry about a main duct IPMN. The key thing with pancreatic duct is following the duct. If you see the duct and it's minimally prominent throughout the gland, it may not be of great significance. But if the duct is dilated and then there's abrupt cutoff of the duct, you have to worry that there's a tumor present. Yes, I know a duct can be dilated and there could be a stricture from chronic pancreatitis. There are a number of potential reasons, potentially trauma, but in a patient where you see a cutoff of a duct, you have to look for a mass. Now, you're not always going to see a mass, but there's a mass likely to be present. We can see a duct cutoff with typically adenocarcinoma, but you can see with neuroendocrine tumors, some of the smaller neuroendocrine tumors which grow in the duct have, are serotonin positive, and that causes a desmoplastic reaction resulting in the duct dilatation. But most of the time, we're likely thinking about pancreatic cancer. We also look at the common duct. Of course, common duct dilatation can be high up, and then you think of cholangiocarcinoma. It could be at the ampulla, or it's pancreatic cancer. There are benign causes. We talk about um, things like a stone in the duct can cause obstruction. So duct obstruction is a key finding. Then your job is to figure out why there's duct obstruction. Is it tumor or is it a benign etiology? We talk also about some inflammatory process, autoimmune pancreatitis. One of the reasons it's so challenging and confusing is because it can cause duct dilatation of both the common duct and the pancreatic duct. And then we talk about, uh, so let's talk about some of the duct dilatation. Here's a good example. There's a dilated duct in the patient's body and tail of the pancreas. We also see textural change. We also see a transition point. And so as we follow it on the coronal views, you follow that transition point, and sure enough, here's a mass in the body of the pancreas. Very nicely shown. Now, one of the things about a dilated pancreatic duct is that if you can pick up a tumor, it's often a smaller tumor and someone who's resectable. The other thing we find out is when we looked at missed cases of pancreatic cancer, one of the most common findings that's overlooked is that duct cutoff, and invariably the patients will then present another six to 12 months later, where the patient initially might have been resectable, they're now going to be unresectable. Again, looking at textural changes as well as the dilated pancreatic duct, it's very obvious in this case precisely where the tumor is. I do like doing reconstructions along the plane of the duct. So in this case, you can see exactly where the dilated duct ends and what the cause specifically is. Here's some of the texture mapping, again, nicely showing you the low density of the patient's tumor. 
the dilated duct, and the normal gland immediately adjacent to it. Here's the coronal view, showing you very nicely the portal vein and SMV, and also showing you the patient's tumor and how the texture of the tumor is different than the texture of the gland in the head, which is normal, as well as in the tail, which has some atrophy with a dilated pancreatic duct. Just very nicely shown in this example. Here's a couple more images. You can see the coronal views very nicely showing you the tumor. And again, cinematic rendering is proving very valuable in defining these findings. Another case. Here's an example of a dilated pancreatic duct, and in the body of the pancreas, it's a hypodense mass. There's minimal stranding, but don't confuse this with pancreatitis. This is an obvious tumor. You see the textural change. You see the duct cutoff. Here it is on the coronal oblique views, really nicely showing you the low density, classic for adenocarcinoma. Minimal glandular stranding, sometimes you get a com combination of the mass, obstruction, and mild pancreatitis. And you see the dilated pancreatic duct with cinematic rendering very similarly. There's the patient's tumor. There's the dilated duct right here. There's some of the difference in texture between the mass and the distal pancreatic gland. And again, here I'm showing you just a few more cinematic renderings, changing the texture mapping and coronal view also nicely defining the portal vein and splenic vein in SMA, as well as showing you the tumor very nicely. We are looking at how we can use cinematic rendering for increasing both our accuracy of lesion detection, but also our surgeons find it provides very useful 3D mapping for preoperative planning. Now, we typically don't think about um, pancreatic cancer and having uh, calcifications. Sometimes we do see it because pancreatic cancer can occur in a patient with chronic pancreatitis. Sometimes we see it in a case like this where the patient initially had an IPMN and IPMNs can have calcification and now there's a tumor involving the tail of the pancreas. You can see the tumor grows medially and posteriorly in this encasement of the celiac axis including the patient's hepatic and splenic artery. And again, it's an obvious mass. Calcifications, I think about neuroendocrine tumors. We gave a talk recently on spend tumors, but pancreatic adenocarcinoma, although not classic, can have calcifications, but it's often because the calcifications predated the patient's tumor. And here it is with MIP really showing you the mass, the infiltration, and the calcification. Now, what about the common duct? I mentioned common duct can be due to a stone, can be due to cholangio, can be due to ampullary tumor or ampullary stricture. But here's a nice example of a dilated common duct and the very obvious transition point. And here's the patient's tumor. Tumor abuts the duodenum. Very nice transition near the portal vein and SMV. Here are some other images which showed you that the patient had a double duct sign. That is dilatation of the common duct as well as the pancreatic duct. And you very nicely see on the venous phase imaging some of the textural changes and the mass in the patient's head of the pancreas. Here's a few more images, volume rendering, again, nicely showing you the mass. You can see why this is very valuable for preoperative planning. Another case. Dilated pancreatic duct. Now, this is a little bit different, so I put this in there because it's a huge pancreatic duct, 2.6 centimeters. 
That's not a duck cutoff. Duck cutoffs are usually five to eight millimeters. This is a main duct IPMN. When a duct is over eight millimeters, you have to worry the patient has an IPMN of the main duct with possible dysplasia or carcinoma. This patient had high-grade dysplasia with a markedly dilated pancreatic duct. These are the patients who typically will get Whipple's procedures or total pancreatectomy. Here's another uh, set of images from that same patient, the really markedly dilated pancreatic duct. And you can see some outpouchings from the side of the duct, very nicely shown. When you see a pancreatic duct that's over a centimeter and even eight millimeters, you gotta be thinking a main duct IPMN. Those patients will get ERCP, the fluid will be sampled, invariably uh, it will come back with a moderate to high grade dysplasia at a minimum. Another case, look at this dilated pancreatic duct. It almost looks like a pseudocyst. It's interesting because the gland is not showing any duct dilatation in the tail. Uh, this patient, because of this large dilated duct, had surgery and this was high grade dysplasia as well. So this patient was lucky, high grade dysplasia, resection, chemotherapy, the patient should do fine. Obviously, you like to pick it up at lower intermediate grade uh, dysplasia, but hey, it's better than having a carcinoma. Here it is again on some of the coronal 3D volume views, showing you nicely the markedly dilated pancreatic duct and the transition point in the gland. Now, we talk about, as we mentioned, size and shape. We talk about texture, and again, this is a normal case. Look at the spleen. Look at the splenic artery and vein coming in there. Look at the pancreatic gland, the normal texture the gland has. And again, I've mentioned about accentuating the gland texture. Can we pick up ever smaller tumors? Can we classify tumors better? That's something we're working on, and I think the answer is going to be very positively yes. But that will take a little bit of time for us to figure out, of course, and we're doing lots of work in that regard. Now, one of the reasons that becomes so important, if you look at this case, you say the glandular texture, but then look at this abnormal case. And what you see here is two studies just done a few months apart. Four months apart, the patient on the right has liver mets. The same patient earlier had no evidence of tumor. And what happened in this case, and you can see the images as you go here, that the patient's tumor was very subtle and now is very obvious. Now, one can argue and say four months ago, would we have made a difference? Maybe the patient had liver mets, we just couldn't see him. That indeed is possible. But you can see that if you don't diagnose things early, you often are diagnosing them too late. And so in this case, you've gone from a subtle textural change in the body to an obvious tumor, but obvious widespread liver metastasis and vascular involvement as well. So in that case, on the earlier phase imaging, the earlier time point, you could see the textural changes by the head of the pancreas toward the body, and that was the patient's tumor. So you could have diagnosed it earlier. Of course, later on, four months later, it's very obvious the textural change, but our goal is early detection, and we need every tool to be working for us to make that indeed happen. Another case, body of the pancreas, dilated pancreatic duct, textural changes nicely seen, and here again is the pancreas. Textural changes in the body, textural changes by the tail with dilated pancreatic duct, 
And then, of course, you look at the mesenteric vessels, and that's all very nicely shown. So again, lesion detection, classification, and staging all done with a single examination. So we're very happy with that. Now, one of the things about cinematic is this example. This patient had abdominal pain, and this was read as pancreatitis. One has to admit the head of the pancreas is prominent, and it could be pancreatitis, but how do you know there's no mass there? So perhaps you would have said, get a follow-up study, but I don't know, it just looks mass-like to me, and then you'll see the vein is not well seen. And so here it is with texture mapping, the celiac and SMA are okay, and the patient's GDA is fine. But now when you look at the texture map, there's a mass here, which is involving branches of the SMV. This is the pancreas, but this is different texture. Yes, you can say, how do I know that's not inflammation? But if you look at its density, it looks like a tumor. And then you look at its involvement around the branches of the SMV. And we recognize that this patient, where you could have said get a three or four month follow-up, maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. But the patient has pancreatic adenocarcinoma with involvement of the SMV and branches off the SMV. Here it is when I change the parameters a bit. The SMV is essentially occluded by not a very large tumor, but by strategic location of the patient's tumor, very nicely shown in this example. Now, cinematic rendering, I've mentioned it a few times and showed you a few images. It's something we've been using for the past four years. It's volume rendering, but done with a better lighting model, and so it's more photorealistic. It has the opportunity to improve visualization of subtle pancreatic tumors, differentiation of solid and cystic tumors, assessing local spread, both in the vascularity side, as well as looking for METs, including areas like the liver. So what else do we do in the pancreas? So we spoke about looking for a mass. Okay, great. We spoke about looking at the pancreatic duct and the common duct, a critical finding because pancreatic duct may be dilated and you don't obviously see a tumor. But then what happens? What about the vascular structures? So we need to be doing arterial mapping. And here's a good example of a patient with a tumor in the body of the pancreas, extending the pancreatic head. And you see very nicely the SMA encasement well shown. So when we do vascular mapping for the pancreas, we're gonna do arterial and venous phase imaging. We're gonna define the vessels and any variation, aberrant vessel, aberrant hepatic off the SMA, replace common hepatic, where is um, the SMA, where is the celiac, is it a joint trunk, what's going on? We need to look at the vessels, are they patent, occluded, or narrowed? And then we look for collateral vessels, which can be a hint of problems ahead. Here's a good example, you look at these images, you see lots of collateral vessels from the GDA by the head of the pancreas. We make the point that you need to look at the sagittal view, Here's the volume rendered view, which shows you patient's uh, hepatic and splenic artery and the SMA, and you realize something is not right at the hepatic artery SMA uh, and uh, splenic artery zone because you really never see the celiac axis. And then you look at that very carefully, and you see a dilated GDA. There are a number of reasons for a dilated GDA, the most common reason is occlusion of the celiac or compression of the celiac by median arcuate ligament. And then you have collaterals via SMA to hepatic artery 
via the GDA, which is nicely shown here. So a classic thing, compression median awkward ligament syndrome. And CT is very valuable in these cases, helping you arrive at a diagnosis. It's also important to be able to tell a surgeon not just vessel patency, but areas of narrowing so the surgeons are very careful. Uh, if a patient is like this and you have such narrowing of the celiac axis, what you want to do is do a bypass graft when you're in there at surgery. If you don't notice it, then the patient can infarct the patient's liver because you're going to resect the GDA at time of a Whipple's procedure, and GDA was the key flow for you from the patient's SMA to hepatic artery. Now you lose the flow, so that's very, very important. You can see it nicely there. Here's the MIP imaging from anterior and from a foot-up perspective, really showing you the dilated GDA and the multiple collaterals. So mean and awkward ligament compression is critical, especially in transplant patients, patients with planned extension of hepatic resection where GDA patency is critical, and patients where they're going to get a Whipple's procedure where the GDA is routinely sacrificed and you need to have flow through the patient's celiac and into the patient's hepatic artery. Now, of course, vessel encasement. Sagittal view, here's the patient's SMA. It's encased by tumor. Now, if you have tumor involvement of the celiac or SMA, in the old days, and still many places, it means you're unresectable. Hopkins were more aggressive. We will be able to resect you if you respond to chemotherapy. Even patients with celiac involvement that do Appleby procedures. So there is a more aggressive approach to surgery with some reasonably good results. Again, the sagittal view here nicely shows on the MIP that the patient's um, vessel was widely patent, but it's encased by soft tissue. Here it is again, the encasement nicely shown. And then, of course, this patient, which has a large tumor, body and tail of pancreas, tumor invades the left kidney, encases the celiac, encases the SMA, and the patient has liver metastasis. Obviously, when you see arterial encasement on both the SMA and the uh, celiac side, you know the patient's tumor is aggressive and has been around for a while. And of course, direct extension to the kidney is unusual, but here's an example. Direct extension periodic region is common. Patients with tumor going to the periodic region and around the aorta and toward the spine often have back pain and will need some type of palliative therapy. Nice example there. Now, the last thing I'll mention in this talk right now in part two is portal vein. We're going to be looking for portal vein and SMV involvement. Short segment involvement, you can resect. Long segment involvement, you're not going to be able to resect. Here's a large tumor. There's SMA and celiac involvement. And when you go to the venous phase imaging, you realize there are lots of collaterals present in the porta hepatis. And when you look at the collaterals, you go through the different images, but you see on the MIP these collaterals and you see the portal vein SMV junction is occluded and it reforms uh, distally. But this patient would be unresectable and the tumor is truly infiltrative. Here's the arterial side. You see the patient's celiac and hepatic artery and you see the tumor. But then when you go from there to the venous phase, you see the occlusion of the patient's SMV and portal vein, reconstitution distally, occlusion of the proximal, proximal splenic vein. But based on this, the patient would be unresectable. So we are paying lots of attention. You see the pancreatic mass, that's great. 
but now you've got to stage it. Is there arterial involvement? Is there venous involvement? Surgeons are more aggressive, so if you have some involvement, they'll give chemotherapy, maybe radiation therapy, and then operate on the patient. Nice example here of the tumor growing into the portal vein at the portal vein SMV junction with an invasion of the portal vein and occlusion of the splenic vein. Very nicely shown in these examples. And again, you could see direct extension, as in this case, is going to make the patient unresectable. That becomes a very important point. There's new chemotherapy regimens, but invariably the patients never become resectable. Another example here, there's portal vein and SMV invasion by the patient's tumor. It's much more subtle compared to the last case, but again, very important. As I noted, patients will get chemotherapy. If this is the only finding, the patients will indeed get surgery. So vascular involvement is no longer what it was before as a classic stop the presses, do not operate. Depending on the extent, patients will get operated on. Typically, looking at chemotherapy first to try to shrink the tumor, particularly away from the vessel, and then they will operate. And again, nice examples here showing you that same mass and showing you very nicely the SMV involvement. And here's just a nice example of the portal vein being encased and the patient's tumor really involving the splenic vein, the SMV, the portal vein. Again, this patient will never be resectable. It's too much tumor infiltrating this collaterals. You see nodes into the mesentery. And here it is on the routine the volume rendered views, the mass, the occlusion of portal vein, SMV, splenic vein confluence. And the patient now, of course, has widespread liver metastasis, shown both on the volume rendered and MIP imaging. Also, the volume rendering and MIP showing you the uh, cavernous transformation of the portal vein. At times with lots of collaterals, MIP is better in that it shows all the vessels, but you lose perspective where things are coming from. And that's one of the strong values of volume rendering. Another example here, carcinoma tail of pancreas, involvement and occlusion of the patient's uh, splenic vein. You can see very nicely the extent of tumor. It's also involving some of the venous branches off the patient's um, uh, vein, off the portal vein, and off the SMV. Nice example here showing you the vascular mapping of the liver, but also the occlusion of splenic vein and involvement of the patient's portal vein with multiple collaterals. Again, cinematic rendering is really good for looking at defining the collateral pathways present. Now, when we speak about metastasis, we talk about spread of the patient's tumor, and then we talk about things like liver metastasis and how we detect liver metastasis. But I think what we ought to do is we ought to take a break here, and let's go back a slide and say, let's talk about liver metastasis, which can be very subtle in pancreatic cancer, but are critically important. We do know that if you have liver mets, most places will say you're not operable. So let's leave you with that thought and come back here in a moment. Have a great coffee break. See you soon. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website, ctss.com, for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.